0: Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I've been waiting. Um, for me, um, for those of you uh, who are visiting or joining us online, I'm Tom, lead pastor here. And um, one of my, if I remember stuff from Christmas growing up, like a tradition that we had, uh, it's actually, um, it's, it's going up to my grandparents' ranch. My grandparents lived um, in northeastern California, so like it's called Modoc County, and the town is called Alturas. It's about three hours east of Redding uh, and several hours north of Reno. It's in the middle of nowhere, um, and my grandparents had a ranch. And so probably for about 30 years, maybe more, uh, every year we made the long trek in by car up to my grandparents' ranch. And, and, and interestingly, some of my most vivid and perhaps traumatic memories come from the, the, the journey to their ranch, not necessarily being there. I remember when I was a littler guy, uh, we were in uh, our Dodge Grand Caravan, and I was laid out in the bench seat asleep, and my dad, I think, was speeding and, and we got, oh, by the way, when we would travel, we would always travel on Christmas Eve or Christmas day to avoid any other cars on the road. So this is Christmas day. It's like, I mean, we started at like 2 a.m. So it's like eight, nine in the morning. We're somewhere on 395 in the middle of our 10 to 13 hour journey. And my dad gets pulled over by a motorcycle CHP officer. And I don't have my, my seatbelt on. So my mom turns around, get your seatbelt on, you know, and the, the guy, You know, he comes up, and he's like, hey, do you know how fast you were going? But I was like, I don't know. I mean, there's nobody here. Like, it's empty. It's Christmas. And the guy's like, you know what? It is Christmas, sir. Do better. And they let us go. (whistles) Fast forward maybe 20 years. This is about, um, I don't know, 14-some years ago. Aaron and I were recently married. And instead of taking 395, that's like the 13-hour uh, drive. This was that we went up uh, the 5 to Reading. This is more like the 10 to 11-hour drive. And we, so we take the 5 up to Reading. We stop at the uh, Black Bear Diner uh, for breakfast, if you know that place. And as we're there at the Black Bear, I start to feel a little bit sick. Uh, I start to like, you know, get the sweats and I start coughing and sneezing. And so from Reading, like I said, three hours east. So we begin the, the trek east after breakfast. And uh, at a certain point, I pass out because I'm now like, like fully ill. Like I'm running a fever. And when I wake up, it's because we, there's this uh, little hill. It's not a mountain. It's a hill. It's, it's not even that long. It's a couple miles maybe. Uh, you have to get over it to get down into Modoc, into Alturas. And it was snowing. And so we got stopped by, the, again, the CHP saying, hey, this, this road's closed unless you have chains. And so my dad, he's like 60-something at this point. He's like, Thomas, Thomas Andrew Bennett, get up. And in my feverish memory, I'm the hero of the story Uh, where, where apparently we did have chains in the back and mom, I feel like you weren't there. I feel like it was just me and Aaron and dad. I think you had already gone up with granny Barbara or something. Yeah. So it's the three of us and I'm, I'm ill and my father is cranky. And so uh, it's, it's up to me and my new wife, Aaron, to get the tire, uh, the chains on the tires. And I don't know, uh, nowadays I think the chains um, are much easier, but back then they were made by sadists. And so, and so we're, we're, we're getting out there and by the way, we're in like jeans and like a t-shirt. It's like, it's snowing, it's icy. There's a ton of, my dad just pulled off the side of the road for sunk in on the ground. And he was just like honking the horn, like, hurry up. And we're, we're trying to do this thing. And I, I, my guess is in reality, my guess is is that Aaron was the one who saved the day Uh, because she's, she, I'm, I'm weak and frail. And uh, and she, Aaron is many things. She's scared of spiders, but when she gets like a, when she gets like a, a mission, she's hardcore. She completes the mission. And I do recall uh, through the haze, like several times, like the, ty- the chains came off and they were, got twisted or whatever, but she was a bull. She was an absolute monster out there. And she finally got the, the chains on and we got to my grandparents' ranch and I don't remember any of the rest of the trip. The only thing I remember was that catastrophe during our journey. Christmas, interestingly, um, it's very odd. Well, just, just think about this. Okay, so so uh, we're told in, in Luke that, um, that what happens? There's like a census and that uh, Mary and Joseph have to go from Nazareth where they live to Bethlehem. Okay, so they take a journey. I don't know if you know the geography of Israel. I've got a picture of this uh, from The Chosen. The geography of Israel is such that it's about 90 miles And it takes about four days on foot if you're going roughly two and a half miles an hour for for eight hours. And Mary is something like eight and a half months pregnant during this trip. And as you, we don't know if she was on a donkey. She must have been. I, I've seen pregnant women in the, eighth, in the eighth month of pregnancy. It's hard for me to imagine hiking uh, 90 miles over the course of four days. Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But probably she had some help because, man, what a, what a difficult way to go. And again, how strange, right? So say that you're God and you're going to save the world. What, what, a, what a strange way to start out. Why not instead just, just have Mary and Joseph already living in Bethlehem? Why why do we have to why do we make this so complicated? But instead, they have a huge journey. Or uh take for example the shepherds. This is also odd. Uh, the shepherds are um they're they're in the fields, they're they're outside of Bethlehem. Um some angels show up. Got a picture of that too. Uh, the angels are there uh and they freak out, right? And then the angels in, in some uh in some depictions of this you'll see like the star like they follow the star that's not them the the wise men did that it was not the shepherds the the angels tell the shepherds hey you got to go find this baby i mean I, i don't know if you've ever tried to find a baby in a town before but that seems challenging Uh, and, and so, I mean, maybe helpful because, you know, it's nighttime. And so perhaps they're able to hear the baby because Jesus is born outside. So maybe they're hearing that and that's how they, they find him. I don't know, but that that, they have to go on like a big trip to find Jesus. And then we get the wise men, right? The wise men in Matthew two, we're told that they, uh, took a pretty long journey following a star, right? Um, actually a lot of the scholars nowadays, they think that, that maybe what was going on was, um, it was Jupiter. Uh, there's a if if you they have simulations now, so they can model the universe like the way it looked. And these guys are coming from the east. They're astrologers, and it's possible we know that Jupiter uh, from April 17th to December 19th in 6 BC would um would write would be visible underneath the sun every sunrise. Uh, so, so we, we know that, that possibly they saw that, and Jupiter to ancient people, was a sign of of kingship or, or rule, and so possibly these, uh, these astrologers were like, oh, and that 's why we know that there 's this new king, and so they followed this uh, this Jupiter or star, and maybe not, but they followed this for months, months on end, to get to Jesus again, why? What an odd way to start the, the life of the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Why? Why have these random pagan astrologers from far away travel all this way to, to see Jesus? Like, what, a, what a strange thing to do. And then we're told in Matthew 2, after they visit Jesus, um, the, the the king, Herod, wants to kill Jesus. He doesn't want competition for being king. And so Joseph and Mary are forced to flee where? To Egypt. They have to run away. Another, now, this journey is hundreds of miles. It, isn't it odd? Isn't it odd that all of the major stories that we get from The birth of Jesus all involve going on the road, taking a journey. I bring this up because it's not just, uh, this isn't just just Jesus. This is actually, if you you follow the scriptures from the, the very beginning to the very end, you will see over and over and over that the way God has people operate is on the road. Here's just a short list. Abraham called to, to, to go to the prom. Jacob has to run away from his brother, goes to a far country, ends up wrestling with an angel. Joseph is sent into slavery into Egypt. Moses has to take the people out of, of slavery to try to get them to the promised land. Jo- he doesn't make it. Joshua picks up the the, the the baton and gets the people into the land. Ruth has to leave the land of her, uh, her, of her family to go with her mother-in-law to Israel. And it doesn't just stop with the Old Testament. Think about Jesus himself. Once he's older, what's his whole ministry? He's He's walking around. He's constantly on a journey and ultimately a journey to Jerusalem to to create the greatest of all gifts. That is his own loving life. And it doesn't stop with Jesus. If you go to the next, you go to Acts, you see that that Peter and Paul, what are they always doing? They're going on a missionary journey. They're journeying. In fact, uh, Paul becomes Paul on the road. He's a persecutor of Christians and he's on the road and bam, Jesus appears to him in the middle of his journey. And says, stop persecuting me, follow me. And so there's this interesting motif that runs through scripture that says, if you want to journey to Jesus, if you want to get to Jesus, you must go on a journey. It's the first thing in your note sheets. If you want to get to Jesus, getting to Jesus means going on a journey. Why? Why? Why is this so prevalent? Why is it so thick in the Bible? This, 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 this movement from here to there. Well, I, uh, I, I went to this place. Just, just, I think I've been there once, maybe twice. Um, it's, it's a magical place. Um, they have things there that blow my mind. It's, uh, it's called REI. Uh, it's called Recreational Equipment Incorporated. I got a picture of the the Norwalk one in Connecticut. You go inside; it's like it's like Disneyland for for hikers and campers. And I know this because uh, some of you I know have 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 done things like this. I, uh, Jeff, you like you go, you like to take multi day treks up into the wilderness, right? You do that, so you've probably been to REI. If you had ten or if I had ten or fifteen thousand dollars. At REI, I could get excited about going outdoors. <laughs> I could. I'm not because they, they, man, they have boots there that uh, are weather resistant and super comfy, uh, and yet have an amazing grip. They have uh, shirts, fleeces there that are like like lighter than air and yet wick out all of your sweat. They've got canteens. They've got incredible tents that keep the bugs out. I mean, that place, it's wild. Why, why, what, is, what is it about REI? Why, 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 I and mean, what is it about camping? What is it about going out into the wilderness that, that so many of us really enjoy? Well, it's interesting. It's kind of this odd, like, it's an odd in-between between, you know, being where we're comfortable at home and going out into something that's exciting, new, fresh. There's, there's a, a sense of possibility Maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe even at times dangerous. And REI exists because we as, you know, in our culture, the last thing we want. Rachel and Bill, didn't you guys go on like a, wasn't it like for an anniversary or something? Birthday, for, for your birthday. How long was it, like seven days or something like that? I'm sorry? Six days in the wilderness. I mean, that's wild. Um. The reason we do is because we're we're, we're step, we, we want to be like in between this sense of, of comfort, but also like possibility. And REI helps mitigate the danger. It helps make it a little more comfortable, a little less difficult. It's still going to be a challenge. It's still going to be outside of our comfort zone, but it's going to be manageable. The reason we do that in this culture is because we are Risk-averse. In this culture, we are all about comfort. We're really about control, right? Think about, uh, you know, the last 100, 200 years of, of Western civilization. It's been about taking control over the natural world, right? We, if you want to get from A to B, we're going to build a plane. If we want to go to the moon, we're going to go to the moon. We're going to control this virus so it doesn't get everybody. We're going to control the weather so that it doesn't get too hot or too cold, We're going to control our environment in every possible way because the last thing we want is danger. The last thing we want is to be uncomfortable. The last thing that we want is to be out of control. But that's what journeys are all about. Journeys are all about getting outside of your comfort zone. Journeys are all about being taken away from what's familiar and what's easy And being put into something that's adventurous, potentially unsafe, but also filled with possibility. So the next thing in your note sheets. uh, God following journeys take us out of our comfort zone. The beauty of going out into nature, the beauty of going out into the waves... Uh, And the surfing is because when you're out there, it becomes very, very clear to you that you are not in control. That the world around you is bigger and stronger than you. So what is this for? Why is God taking people and saying, I want you to go there. I want you to step out. Why do that? Well, think about the... Think about the, the story of, of the birth of Jesus, right? Think about Mary and Joseph. Well, one of the things that we kind of sort of mentioned is that they were enduring serious physical toil, labor and pain. The so next thing your noteheets are on the screen on the road. Mary and Joseph, pain and labor. They had to deal with that. Dealing with pain and labor changes you. If you're like me, you don't like pain. But sometimes you have to endure it, and when you do, it changes you from who you were into who you were meant to become. Think about the uh, the, the wise men. What did they? They had to be very. They, they'd be like, take a long time, study, focus, be tenacious. Some of us, some of us are like, I just want it now. You know, I want it easy. Well, sometimes the journey makes that impossible. Sometimes your journey isn't just a couple of days or a couple of weeks or even a couple of months or even a couple of years. Sometimes your journey is a lifelong one. Maybe you're the sort of person who kind of hoped or expected uh, something simple and easy, and and then God says, you know what? I'm not going to give you the health that you wanted. I'm not going to give you the money that you wanted. Instead, I want you to endure. I want you to change and shift. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. Go to a place of dependence on me, a place of faith, where what I give you is enough. What about the shepherds? What's the first thing? The first thing the angels say to him don't be afraid. They're terrified. They're just simple folk. They're just, they're just simple folk out in the fields, and then suddenly this, this world altering, absolutely insane event takes place. Of course, they're quaking. They're, they're, they're shaking in their boots. When you go out on the road, when you start journeying to Jesus, you might get into a place where you're scared. You're scared because you don't know if this relationship's going to work out. You don't know if your kids are going to turn out the way you want them to. And at a certain point, you realize, once you're on this journey, I don't have control. The only thing I have is trust and dependence. But if I have that, maybe that fear will turn into faith. Maybe that fear will turn into trust. Maybe that fear will be transformed into hope. Last thing in your note,: geez. every journey has unique hardships. God wants to change us. This is so radically counter to everything our culture is telling us. Our culture is telling us, be comfortable. Sit down, relax, be entertained. Whatever you do, don't get out of your comfort zone. Don't step out into a place that's that's dangerous. Don't think about what possibilities might be there for you. Instead, be happy. Follow your heart. God says no. God says no. What? What? If you want to journey to Jesus, if you want to come to me, things are going to get scary. But then they're going to get really good. I want to leave you with this. Um, by the way, if you're newer visiting, this is, this is devotion. <laughs> this is not the usual thing. We're actually a very um, Bible-based uh, church, and so you'll see a lot more text when you come back uh, in the next couple weeks. But um, this is from Matthew 16, and this, this, is, this sums it right up. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, must take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Our culture says, save your life at any cost. Our culture says, don't let your kids break their arm on the jungle gym. Jesus says, step out. Follow me. Because what's outside, what's ahead of you, is something you can't possibly imagine. Imagine. It's something beyond anything you've ever experienced. It's, it's, a, it's a you that you've never known before. But in order to do that, you have to take the journey. You have to say, I am going to step out. I am going to get uncomfortable. I am going to be willing to trust. I am going to be willing to hurt. And so this Christmas, what, is the, what journey is God calling you to like what? What road is God saying, take this road? I'm telling you, I, I just—it's like I said earlier. You know, I, the, the only thing I remember about that trip was being sick and changing the chains with my wife, and I obviously didn't tell her because I didn't want her to get you know too big of a head. But I, as I was sitting there, as I was, you know, trying to go back to sleep in the car, I was like, man. She's incredible, and I had no idea. I didn't think she was that tough. But I learned something when things got hard. I learned something on the road. And now, in 2024, we're going to get back on the road and journey to Jesus. And every single one of us has a different, unique path that God's called us to. But be listening for it. Be excited about it. Because the one that you're journeying to is the light of the world. We're going to uh, be closing here with um, a couple uh, songs focusing on, on, on the light of the world and, and, and who Jesus is. The one that you're going to isn't going to fail you. The one that you're going to has his arms open wide. The one that you're going to has already given everything to you and for you. So you can trust him. There's a great um, painting called The Adoration of the Shepherds, and in it, uh, the the shepherds are looking over Jesus, and Jesus is like, he's like bright, and the, the painting around is like dark, and you can barely see anything, but the light of Jesus illuminates their faces, and the journey that they undertake ends with them staring right into the light of the world, and yours will too. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, give us the courage to to step out and journey to Jesus again. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what our journey is, what you've called us to in this Christmas season and in this next year. And may we do it together and may we be united as as we journey to you and may we lift each other up when the road gets hard. And may we end face-to-face with you, Jesus, the light of the world. In your name we pray, amen.